by asking a very complicated question. What do you already know about? Jesus. I'm not sure. What are we about to study? The call. Discipleship. What do you already know about following Jesus according to him? What do you already know about what it takes to be a Christian? What do you already know about what it takes to be a disciple? Finding out where they stand with that early on is really important. Because if somebody doesn't think that a disciple is the same as a Christian, then you could study out what it means to be a disciple, and it would have no impact on them. They're like, wow, yeah, disciples are great. Good thing I don't want to do that. That sounds hard. That makes sense? So, we've got to establish, and it could be that they're like, no, a disciple is the same thing as a Christian. Great, well then you don't have to beat Acts 11 to death. That's where we're going to go first, Acts 11. Actually, no, um, we're going to go over common attitudes first. What are some common attitudes that people, that maybe you study with, will have about what it takes to be a Christian disciple? James. I'm already a Christian. I'm already a Christian. I got it going on, sure. Right. Like, I think it's a personal thing between me and God. Me and God, Absolutely. Um, Jesus just wants us to do good things. Good things? Yep. What? Being a Christian is just like belief. Like there's no, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, I believe. That's what it takes to be a Christian. As long as I do enough, then it doesn't matter if I'm perfect. Doing enough? Yep. God knows my heart. Nobody's perfect. Yep. Chance again. I'm saying I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good person. Yeah. It's a huge one. That one we'll probably end up more dealing with when we study out the problem. Because the problem is actually showing us how... We are good people according to certain standards, but when we hold ourselves up to God's standards, it's a little different. Any other common ones? Okay, let's take a look at a few here. I'm a Christian, not a disciple, yet, who knows, I might come around to it. <laughs> I'm working on it, I'll get there. It's a process, you ever hear that one? Yes. 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 And then... My personal least favorite, I follow Jesus in my own way. Yes, Danielle? Um, I just meant to say this. I got, uh, this guy told me in James that he had half the Holy Spirit. Yeah, half the Holy Spirit. What? Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like that thing from Anchorman. 50% of the time it works. Every time. Every time. <laughs> okay. That's fun. Well, Usually, it is good to get the semantic stuff out of the way so that we're dealing with all the same the level playing field, which is why a lot of times we'll go to Acts 11. Um, let's go ahead and turn over there. Oh, that was great. I will usually start after I take the pulse, and part of my taking the pulse will be, what do you think it means to be a Christian? And what I'll do is I'll actually have the person taking notes Write it down on the paper so that they can see it, okay? And so, and then I go, I ask them, so what does it take to be a Christian? And they'll go, well, it, it definitely means, I think you'd go to church. Uh, oh, you believe, you definitely have to believe. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then I, I go pray, yeah, do good things, try to do that stuff. And then I always make sure to ask the question, anything else? Is there anything else? To the point where they're exhausted. 
not like physically exhausted, but they don't have any more ideas. They're like, no, that's it. I'm like, okay, are you sure? Yes, cool. Let's move on. Then I go to, what does it mean to be a disciple? And then I do the same thing. I'll write it down. It means to teach someone. Somebody who actually goes out and talks about it. Somebody who's really intense. Somebody who's a Christian might go and go to church, but a disciple is really in it. And if they don't do the little comparative thing, then I'll ask a question afterwards. But definitely at the end of the disciple thing, the disciple question, I'll also ask anything else. Then I ask, after they get to that point, like, no, not really. So what's the difference between a Christian and a disciple? And I let them talk it through. And a lot of times people say, well, there really shouldn't be, but there kind of is. Okay, got it. And then if somebody goes, well, again, it's kind of like a Christian is believes, but a disciple is really in it to win it, and that kind of stuff. And always making sure I ask the question, okay, anything else? Here's the reason why I do this. Particularly with religious people, people have a tendency to backtrack and say, no, 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 I always knew that. I always knew that's what it meant to be a disciple. I knew that's what it meant to be a Christian. I just forgot it. I'm like, okay, we'll write it down to show you exactly what you thought, and even after the question, anything else, you still said no. Okay? And I don't do this to do a gotcha, but just to, so that they can have integrity, so they can see it themselves. It's just a tool. And hey, if they get it, if they're right on, I'm like, great, awesome, fantastic. But then we're going to go ahead and we're going to study it out according to what the Bible has to say about those things. And then we go to Acts 11. So let's go there. To Acts 11. You guys are already there, aren't you? The yeah. purpose of this, the topic is what? Disciples are the same as Christians. Christians are the same as disciples. So you want to go ahead and read it? Yeah. Don't read. Don't worry. Okay. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay, great. So, we'll open up a little bit. So that's the thing you're going to teach, right? All right, we'll get into the, uh, the common attitudes in just a minute, things you might need to reprove or correct, and then we'll talk about training, all that kind of stuff. What are some must-ask questions or things, questions that you guys would ask? Interpretation, application, contemplation questions. What would you ask for this passage? Chance. Um, how would you recognize a disciple? How would you recognize a disciple? Okay. Um, how many times do they think like the word Christian or the word disciple is used in the Bible. Okay, so let me ask you a question because that I've got that same thing and that was done to me. It's a really interesting thing. By the way, how many is it? Three. Seven. How many times for a Christian? Three. Three. How many times for a disciple? Two seventy. Over than that, it's probably depending on your translation, probably somewhere between two seventy and three hundred. Um, okay, I'm gonna get into that in just a second. But Morgan, can I just ask you to follow up? Why this passage for that? Um, to see, like, well, honestly, like, I don't know. It's just, like, whenever I've been in studies, I haven't, like, led a study before, sure. but that's just how it's been brought about, so that's just... Yeah, and that is a way to talk about it, and I, I very often do, but, but we need to make sure that we're doing these things purposefully, and not just because we heard somebody else do it. Otherwise, we may not know, because, and you're, I, I did that for the better part of a decade without knowing what I was doing, and so I'm just like, I heard somebody say that. Let's make sure we use it purposefully. 
Why would we use that question? It's not a bad question at all. Seven. Because if mathematically disciple equals Christian, then anywhere you see the word disciple, you can put it in Christian? Definitely, yeah. We've got to make sure that semantically they're on the same. But why do we even bring up the number of times that it's brought up? Why? Yeah, why, 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 do we, why do we care about linguistics? Why do we, why do we care? It's not really a standard for like, Christian, like the word Christian, mm -hmm. but you only have a, a definition in the Bible. Yeah, and that's why Jesus won't talk about Christian, because Christian, when does when does this come up, by the way? After, After Jesus dies, buries, and resurrects. I mean, Jesus never talked about being a Christian. It wasn't a term of endearment. Say what? It wasn't a term of endearment. It was not, so we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, that was going to be my question. Like, why do you think disciples were called Christians? We'll get to that in just a second. What other questions would you ask of this passage? That was the question. That was the oh. <laughs> oh, why do you think? Yeah, why do you think disciples were called Christians? Sure. Yeah. Right? I don't know if it's too repetitive, but what is a disciple? Well, this passage probably wouldn't talk to, uh, unless they just, you know, it is a Christian. Yeah. What? Oh, what changed from the beginning? Yeah. Christian? If there is only one passage or the one question for you to ask for this, is what changed when they began to be called Christians? Did their conduct change? Did their teaching change? Did the expectations change? Not even a little bit. If there's only one thing you're going to get from that, it's that. A couple must ask questions. All coming at once. What changed when the disciples began to call Christians? What is the difference in expectation between disciples and Christians? And if this is not their understanding, like, if they thought the disciple was a more intense version of Christian, to ask the question, where did you get that understanding? Where did you get that idea from that a disciple is a more intense version of Christian? Because in the Bible, that's where I might bring up. By the way, do you know that the disciples 270 times and Christians only three? Whoa, crazy. Well, you obviously didn't get that idea from the Bible. In fact, it talks about suffering as Christians. And they all, do you think you can help me, be, or uh, you, in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian while Paul's in chains? <laughs> so, disciples right on par with Christian. And then, this last one, and this is the, you know, you've got to make sure that this is clear. As we study out the call of Jesus, what is the difference between the call of disciples and the call of Christians? Which would be? Nope, nothing. Nothing. There is one standard and one standard alone. Why is that important to establish that? So that they obey uh, everything in the Gospels, I guess? Sure, yeah, definitely. Well, when you quote scriptures about disciples, they're not like, well, I want to be Christian, so that's just Exactly, yeah. Somebody who's there, well, I'm not trying to do all that. That's maybe for like my parents or my grandma or my pastor. I'm just trying to be a Christian. It's the same. And that's where you go out and ask uh, what, what, what Morgan was bringing up is that it's brought up you know, 270 times, three times. Or if you asked 100 people out here how many people would be Christians, probably a lot of them. We've asked that same number of people how many people are disciples, far fewer. Because we look at the scriptures and we're like, wow, that's difficult. But we're dealing with one standard here. Not to, Christians are not JV disciples. 
and disciples like the full membership? No. One standard. And you can bring up that this is this is where there's cool stuff to be brought up about actually Christian was a derogatory term. It was not something that was a badge of honor. It was, oh, you're one of those Christians. A Christian. You follow Christ. Because everybody had disciples back then. Buddha had disciples. Aristotle had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Every famous rabbi, Shammai, Hillel, all of them had disciples. In fact, I'm a disciple of who was the follow-up? Christ. Christian. Christian. And if you were if you were labeled as a Christian, your life, depending on at different times throughout history, there were times of great persecution, there were times of not terrible persecution, but particularly under Domitian and Diocletian and Nero, there was craziness going on. The worst stuff is, uh, you know, one of those guys ended up taking Christians and dipping them in hot wax and. Uh, lighting them on fire, putting them on a stake in the ground to light their garden parties at night. They basically became human candles. Christians were sewn up inside wild animal skins and thrown to the dogs. Christians were put in different places, uh, in arenas, attacked by lions and wild animals. They were crucified. They were um, all sorts of stuff. You can take a look at all the disciples, all but John were martyred in horrific ways. And so when, you, so when you became a Christian, you're saying, well, I'm willing to die like Christ, or I am identifying myself with Christ, because I follow Christ. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Cool. What? Um, what? What if somebody has never heard disciple before? The word disciple? Yeah, like, or doesn't even know what that is. Sure, yeah, and then you would explain that. Disciple means what? Student. Student or follower. The word mathetas, which would literally just be someone who is a student, a pupil, or a follower, or a learner. So if somebody doesn't know what that means, teach them. (laughs) Cool? Great. Any questions about this? Some of the common attitudes that might be, we've talked about this, disciples more intense version of a Christian. Disciples teach and Christians believe. And then, you know, um, of course, I've always been a Christian, but maybe not a disciple. So I'm a disciple in progress, disciple in training. And I'm like, well, is there a difference? And how, using this scripture to help them see that, no, there's none. Cool. All right, moving on to the next one, Luke 9, 22. Let's go over there. What's the big purpose of this one? Jesus calls the shots for Christians. But if you're denying yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, it's also good. Okay. Somebody go ahead and read that for us. Jacob Miller. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Okay, cool. All right, so what are some questions that we could ask this one? Hit me with some interpretation questions of what's going on in the text. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to deny yourself? Sure. Who is Jesus speaking to? Sure. What does it mean to take up your cross? Yeah. 
Good stuff. What else? Do you think these things are mandatory or uh, you can do them whenever you want to? Sure. Be careful with that particular question because the way that you phrased it is just one where you have two options. You know, do you think you can do whatever you want or that you have to do it? <laughs> when you say it like that, you know, I've got what choice do I have? So maybe asking a question more like, how necessary is this to discipleship? Uh, what does Jesus say about, or how important is this to Jesus, or how important is this to Jesus following Jesus? You know? Oh, um, what, um, what, okay, sorry, I had to think about it. Let me try to think about the right one. Um, what are the consequences of being ashamed? Yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, what are some application questions here? How can someone deny themselves? Sure, yep. Um, what does it look like to lose your life yeah, or something? absolutely. It's kind of an application question, but still, I guess, like the previous question. Um, I'd ask them what they believe about the cross. Okay, so more interpretation. Sure. Step. What would it look like in this coming week to follow Jesus? Sure. Anything else? Okay, cool. So we'll go through a little bit here. The, the big stuff from this one is that if anyone wants to come after me or to follow me, he must. There are the three imperatives. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. To deny yourself, it's actually the word, the same thing that like when Peter says he denies Jesus, what does he say? I don't know you. It's the same word in Titus where it says the grace of God teaches us to say no, no to ungodliness. Same word. We say no to what? ourselves. We talk about we say no to us. Okay? Now a lot of times we can follow that up with what does that mean? What would you say no to? And most people will say, of course, things like sin or doing bad stuff. And I always go definitely. But I follow up with, if you were to introduce yourself to someone, you wouldn't start off with all the bad things that you do. If you're supposed to deny yourself, it wouldn't be hi. Danielle, hi, I'm Matt, and I struggle with pride. I'm, like, really selfish. First time we've met ever. <laughs> you just say, bless your heart. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's not exactly what happens when you introduce yourself at the beginning of the semester, is it? No. No. Yourself is so much more than just your sin. That we say no definitely to our sin, but it may end up being to our desires our dreams, our hopes, our goals, whatever, we say no to us. That's what deny ourselves means. We say no. You have no place. I don't know you. We have no power here. It's the heart of being a disciple to do things that you don't necessarily want to do, but you say no to how you feel it, which is huge for our culture because we only do stuff that we feel. I'm not feeling it, so I'm not doing it. And then we justify it by saying, I don't want to be fake. By the way, when you signed up to be a Christian, you said, I'm willing to deny myself. In fact, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So that's huge. But most people have denied themselves in some way that has nothing to do with Jesus. You can deny yourself and stay up late for a test. You're not getting sleep. I'm saying no to my tiredness right here. My fatigue has no power. I gotta stay up and study. 
Sometimes in order to get in better shape, we can deny ourselves that third cupcake. <laughs> that Twinkie has no power here. We can get ourselves up early and go to the gym. We deny ourselves. That does not make you a Christian. But we can use that because most people have done that, whether it's for a sport, for music, for academics, for friendship, whatever. But hey, has there ever been a time where you have denied yourself? Not yet. Talk about that. Okay, cool. But there is a difference for denying yourself between denying yourself and denying yourself for Jesus. Okay, that makes sense? So, but pulling that out, that hey, you say no to what you want. Second part, picking up your cross. What's that talking about? Being willing to die for Jesus. Say what? Being willing to die for Jesus. Yeah, sure, chance. I think it, um, it means like being willing, being willing to be persecuted for your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, between those two there. Something that we're, we definitely have to deal with is that a lot of people believe that your cross to bear it's just whatever kind of weird struggle that you go through. And it could be like, my arthritis is my cross to bear. My jerk of a mother, that's my cross to bear. Man, just because you got stuff going on in your life, that's not your cross to bear. But back then, to be, to, if you were executed or seen carrying your cross, there are only two reasons why somebody would be executed by a cross. What are they? Murder and particularly treason or uprising, rebellion. The Romans said, hey, we're going to nail you to a cross, and it would be terrible. It would be awful to show other people why you should never do this. And there are two different kinds of crosses. There was the grand high cross, the one that Jesus was executed on, was raised up along the ground so people could gather around the base of it. But then there was also the low one. And what they would do is they would take people and they would have crosses that were kind of lining the roads and they would be eye level. And what they would do is they wouldn't just nail one person to that cross, they would nail many. In fact, when Jesus was young, there was a man named Judah who, uh, there's a big rebellion in the area of Sephoris, which is a, a town within walking distance to Nazareth. And actually, Joseph, Jesus' father, would have definitely worked there, or most likely would have worked there, gotten carpentry work there. And what they did was there were thousands of men, young men, who rose up to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, and they crushed it with extreme prejudice. And what they did was they took everyone. They didn't kill everybody. What they did was they aligned them, the roads from Nazareth to Sephoris, with crosses, a lot of those three and four people deep on one cross. What? Three and four people deep. And what would happen is they lined the streets so that all the townspeople, as you walked from Nazareth to Sephoris and back, you would literally be walking at eye level, looking the people in the eye as they slowly died. You would watch their decaying body as they were torn up by birds and scavenger animals. And this would be a warning. Do not do this. Do not do what they did. That's what a cross would have meant. Intense, right? And we know that Jesus, to his original crowd, was not talking metaphorically, like just merely metaphorically. 
And it wasn't talking about some kind of like crazy struggle of like, you know, the religious struggle because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So how on earth would he be talking about his own death at that point? That makes sense? But to them, it would have been like, whoa, we might die, and it might be an awful death. But Jesus saying, hey, are you willing to follow me even if it goes to death? Now, the original readers, they would have known that Jesus actually died on the cross. So for them, it wasn't metaphorical. In fact, it was very literal death. Am I willing to go to my cross? Am I willing to go to say no to myself, be willing to die? And those two things are the first two parts. Is that really what describes your commitment to this? Now, I'd also like to say these two things are not unique to Christianity. Because all sorts of things, football teams, fraternities, Weight Watchers says deny yourself. There are so many sects, S-E-C-T-S, cults, groups, organizations, the United States military that calls their members to be willing to die. People have died for all sorts of purposes throughout the years. That is not unique to Christianity. The one thing that in this is I think the most radical and what is unique to Christianity is the last one, which is follow me. Follow me. The Greek word akalotheia. Which to us, it is that is the word to follow. But what it would have been, it was a very formal technical term that rabbis would have come to people young in their lives and would have said, Akalatheo. And that, that they would have known, the young guys would have known what that would have meant. That I am going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to learn your teachings. I'm going to embody your teachings. And I'm going to teach your teachings. It would call you away from your vocation. It would call you away from your family. And I am devoting myself to this particular rabbi. To the, to the point where there are literally stories of rabbis who would call these young guys to follow him. Okay? Say, Akalatheo. And in order to truly embody their rabbi, they would do things to the extreme. Like they would want to learn even how to sleep like their rabbi. So what they would do is they would slip under their beds and try to sleep exactly the way that their rabbi slept. There would be rabbis walking around town, these 80-year-old guys with hunchbacks and shuffling along like this, and you'd see a trail of young guys. They're like, you know, 15, 16, 20, behind them doing the exact same shuffle because they wanted to know and embody their teacher. That's what it meant, Akalatheia. That's what that meant. <laughs> Crazy, right? Yeah. And yet this is what's unique. That you deny yourself not to lose weight, not to get better grades, not to advance yourself in some kind of organization. You are willing to die not because you need fulfillment, but you deny yourself, pick up your cross in order to be like Jesus. That's the difference of a disciple of Jesus than anything else walking around on this planet. That disciples of Jesus say, I'm throwing what I want to the wind in order to let Jesus call the shots. Yes, Mark? How do you spell that awkward phrase? Alpha, Kappa, 
Sorry. Avacron. Avacron. Lambda. Top is English, bottom is Greek. <laughs> yep. I have a question. This might be better offline, so stop me if it's too in depth. But so, like, I've heard that Jesus. Like, I guess why did they follow Jesus if he was like a carpenter? Because like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Makes it that much more radical. It even makes it even more radical when you look at all the disciples. If they were already had jobs and vocations the way that they did, they actually were way too old to be disciples. Most of the time, kind of like Star Wars Padawans, too old, too old to begin the training. Like that's. They, all, all those guys were way too old to start this training. And so why did they follow him? Actually, it was kind of like Jesus chose the dregs. Like the guys that were already passed over. So part of it, why did they follow him? Well, he did have a little bit of a reputation. He did. He was the guy that was healing. He did preach himself, so there was some of that going on. But that was why people were so amazed. Like, who are you? Where did you get this teaching? Because we know you're a carpenter. You're not a rabbi. What's the matter with you? Where'd you get this from? And so he goes and finds not the great students, not the young guys to craft and mold from the, from the bottom. He gets the guy that already owns his own fishing boat, or fishing boat business. He's got James and John who are already working in fishermen. They were passed over. They hadn't been called yet. They already chose Matthew, who was a tax collector. So why did they follow him? Well, because they saw that he had the words of life, maybe. They were inspired by him. Uh, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, all those kind of things. But also, it could have been he was the only one that was willing to give him a chance. So, interesting stuff. So, that, that's great history. Love it, love it, love it. I don't know if I could ever speak and figure that out. I don't know really if I want to learn Greek. You don't need to. What you do need to learn are those basics of Jesus calling the shots. That's ultimately what this is. Of Jesus guides, not guides, sorry. Jesus tells you what you're going to do. And you are going to be like him. And he will tell you, like, I, I love to tell this story. Chris, if I came to your house, or let's, better yet, if Jesus comes to your house and he says, follow me. And then he's like, but I'm leaving town. You got to come with me. How would you follow him? What would that look like? Yeah, could you stay at home and follow his Twitter feed? No. You don't get to do that. You don't say, hey, yeah, I'll follow you, I'll, but, but you know I'm going to be here for a little bit. I'll meet up with you when you get back. You don't do that. If you tried to, you'd be like, no, you're not following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. No, you're not. You're at home. You're doing your own thing. That following Jesus means he's going to call the shots in your life. Now, a lot of times... What I try to do is try to help people understand what that would look like. And even, so, so I'll, I'll go and ask the question, okay, so do you think that this describes Jesus' role in your life, him calling the shots completely? And a lot of times I get folks that say, yeah, absolutely. I go, okay, cool. Well, can I ask you a couple questions then? They go, ah, yeah, definitely. I say, so how did you end up at ODU? 
what school, like how did you make your decision? Oh, it's really crazy because a lot of my friends decided to go to ODU and I got in, I got more money. They had my major. I really wanted to go to Virginia Tech, but then I got into the engineering department here and they gave me more money. I'm like, okay, cool. Got it, that's awesome. Anything else? Not really. You know, I, I wanted to stay here a little bit, it's cheaper. Okay, anything else? Not really, okay. So how'd you pick your major? Well, I, you know, I always love building stuff, so engineering, that's why I did that. I always, if you make good money, I'm like, yeah, definitely. Anything else? Not really, just love it. Like, okay, cool. That's a hot. When you got here, how did you, I don't know, how'd you pick your schedule? Well, uh, they, they told me, if I remember right, I had to come in the summer for orientation. and Yeah, they told me what classes I had to pick. And so there's the basic stuff. And then there's a couple that I really wanted to take because I had a friend taking this one. And then I didn't want to get up on time for that. So I took late classes on Thursday. Like, oh, okay, got it. Anything else? Not really. Okay. How did you pick your friends when you got here? Uh, you know what? Uh, they were in my orientation groups, people in my hall. I knew a couple guys before I got here, whatever. Okay. Cool. Anything else? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the basketball guys. Played a lot with them and, you know, kind of cool with them. Great. Anything else? Okay, so how do you figure out what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, I go to my class, I figure out what homework I've got to do, I meet up with some people, I go to my job, and you know, I do what I have to do. Okay, cool, anything else? No, not really. And then I go, okay, so I just took you from big decisions to little decisions. Where was Jesus in that? And you would be shocked that even in the middle of a Bible study where we're literally talking about this, people, Jesus is not part of the decision-making process. And I ask those questions not to do a gotcha, to give them every opportunity to talk about Jesus. But the truth is when people start talking about their past and their story, they tell it like it really is. There's no filter. To tell you the truth. And then they themselves can see, oh wow, Jesus isn't part of my decisions. A lot of times I get folks that try to backtrack, like, well, no, I was praying the whole time. I'm like, dude, I asked you three times if there's anything else, and Jesus didn't show up anywhere. If Jesus was calling the shots in your life, what would your decision making process be? And that's where people start to see, like, wow, I kind of do my own thing, don't I? Yeah, it's kind of difficult. But that's a, usually a pretty effective way to get people to see who's really calling the shots in your life. Yeah, Chance. Um, just curious. So I know there's, like, um, like, progression in the lessons. But is there ever, like, a time that, like, you can't get through the call because there's probably something that needs to be brought up? Like, what if it for that very same thing, like you're dealing with someone who, I guess, you know, for all sakes, like a lukewarm Christian, uh -huh. and they're like, yeah, I did all those things, and I prayed about it, like this, said that, like there's anything else kind of thing, so it's like... Yeah, and this is where we have to make sure that the scripture is very, very clear, like deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me, that, do you think, and, and the biggest thing would be like, okay, if Jesus walked in here right now, would he say that he's calling the shots in your life? That you don't make decisions without consulting him first. That Jesus, and that's that's even that background, the rabbi thing, that can be useful for that. Like, that's why you give it up front. Like, man, this is how epic and intense and how focused they were. They were willing to go to death 
You're talking about you prayed about it like once, twice. If the first thing in your mind is, isn't how is this affecting me spiritually? Jesus isn't calling the shots. That's just, that's pretty clear. That makes sense? Yeah. So I think that's where we have to bring out the principles of the scriptures even more and let that really do the heavy lifting. So that's not just like, here, I got you, but more like, dude, do you think that this really describes your life? No, not really. And if somebody is like completely like delusional about it, and it's like, or, or maybe you meet somebody like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. No, I prayed and I fasted about it. I'm like, that's awesome. So cool. Great. Is that how all everything goes in your life? Yeah. Okay, great. That, fantastic. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to get you. Like, dude, there, you realize how few people like me that are like that. Ah, oh, man. Let's go on to disciple, disciple making and see what goes on there. So it will be every aspect. Make sense? Any questions about that? Cool. Here's a couple must-ask questions. What does Jesus mean? Deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. What it meant to actually follow Jesus back then. What is your attitude towards letting Jesus call the shots in your life? How do you feel about not being in control of your own life? That's even something for all of us, from, from Dwight to Stefan. We even need to make sure that Jesus is calling the shots in our lives, no matter what's going on, no matter how tired we may be. And you got to ask, who's calling the shots in your life? If, here's, here's my big one. I, I find this to be pretty effective. If Jesus walked in here right now, would he say that you've been following? Not what your pastor, not what your mom, not how you feel or even I feel. According to this, would Jesus say you've been following? that's ultimately the standard, right? And then, so these are a few questions that can expose hearts. What can you start doing now to truly start following him and let him call the shots? Because the heart that we're trying to develop here is one that, hey, I want Jesus to call the shots. And this is actually where your testimony will be ridiculously powerful, where you need to have at the ready why it is awesome to follow Jesus. You know, I know for me, I've always got the ready, the story of the things that I've had to give up. I'm like, you know what? I've had to deny myself a lot of things. I've had to deny myself definitely sin, which we'll talk about even more when we get to the problem study. But I've had to give up dreams. You know, my original plan was to be a, a, a music major at James Madison. I wanted to be a music producer. I wanted to revolutionize the Christian music scene. That was literally my desire. God made it clear I couldn't be the musician that I wanted to be and the disciple that he called me to be at the same time. Mm-hmm. Something I had to give. It wasn't going to be Jesus. So I had to give that up. Then I had another one of being a professional public relations person. I know, a lot cooler. <laughs> no, but you make bank as a PR guy. And I actually had a job offer from somebody in London uh, that had their own PR firm when I, before I graduated. That's kind of crazy. They're like, you come to London, you be, you work for me. And I'm like, yeah. I went into the ministry. And at this point, I've probably given up hundreds of thousands of dollars. There you go. I didn't, I didn't, but I said, Jesus is Lord. What I need to do is build a kingdom. 
It's cost me so many friendships with people that don't want anything to do with me anymore because I'm a Christian. Because I don't want to do what they were doing. It's cost me a bunch of relationships with girls that I either could have had that I said no to because they weren't Christians or ones that were Christians that just made it clear that this is not bringing out the best in me, the best in her, or not building the kingdom. So I just say no to those two. And I look back after being a disciple for 14 years. I look back at all the things that I've had to give up and what it's cost me, and it has literally demanded everything from me. But this is exactly the life, 14 years later, that I always wanted to live. I just didn't know it looked like this. I am doing exactly what I always hoped I would do. I just didn't know this is how I got here. My friendships are exactly the friendships that I wish I had had and was hoping to have. I just didn't know this is how I got there. The girl I'm about to marry, it's exactly the girl that I was praying for and hoping for. I just didn't know this is how I got there. But you gotta have your own thing. You gotta know what it's cost you, but why it is awesome to let Jesus call the shots. Now the root issue, what might be the root sin that we might have to wrestle with to help somebody say yes to I want Jesus to run my life rather than me? Pride. Why would pride be a problem? Could be that, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think ultimately it's, I want to call the shots. I want to be in control. Most of us don't, most of us don't want to say, hey, yeah, sign me up. I don't want to be in control of my life anymore. Somebody else made my decisions for me. Most of us don't want to do that. Every once in a while, maybe you do. But the thing is, our lives were meant to run with Jesus calling the shots. And we need to be examples of that. So to have the call, the challenge of, hey, this is what it looks like to be a Christian, and if Jesus isn't calling the shots, you're not one, according to him. But you should want to be with everything you got, and here's why. Boom, my life. Boom, their life. Boom, his life, her life, whatever. Epic. But then for us, the challenge has got to be, are you living a life that's worthy of inspiring people? <laughs> Would your life inspire anybody? Or is your life exactly the same as it always was? Are you in control? And then that's not going to inspire anybody. That's not going to encourage anybody. Yeah, Chance? So, like, I guess, coming off of, like, 14 years of, like, being a disciple, what would a baby disciple say? Yeah, even the, the, the things that you had to give up, and that's the amazing thing about to be a disciple, you got to give up everything to do it, right? Even the stuff like, you know, I don't get to watch Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Things like the things I used to do when people scared me or when people didn't act the way I wanted to, the old way of manipulating people, the old way of acting, the old insecurities that I had, the old way I used to think about myself, the old way I used to function and make decisions, and it left me empty. I thought it didn't. I was chasing something. I was chasing the ghost of something that never existed. But then when I stopped running from Jesus and let him be in control, oh my gosh, the real relationships that I had, all of those insecurities that I've had for many, many years, dissipate in an instant. Stuff like that. So you have so much. That's the beautiful thing about being a disciple. It doesn't matter if you've been a disciple for 14 years or 14 seconds. God's going to use your awesome story because he's the one writing it anyway. So. Cool. Yeah, that was good. Almost like so I just encourage you guys. But then here, here's the practical training part. 
of what can you start doing now to truly let him do that? You got to help them identify specific things. We do not live our lives in generalities. You say you're hungry, and you say, I'm going to go get something to eat. If you leave it at generalities, you're not going to eat anything. Oh, that's so true. You got to get specific. <laughs> you say, Give me some. Oh, I should have texted Katie. No, that's exactly. Oh, this is so perfect. Katie asked me if I wanted something from Subway. And I said, Yeah. Did you guys text me what you want? And I didn't text her. So I'm probably not going to get much. <laughs> um, she probably does. She probably got me something anyway. But. But if, you, if you're not specific, it's not going to happen. And so, same thing with discipleship or repentance. You say, hey, so I want to get better at this. What would that mean? I don't know. Let Jesus call the shots. That's the broad, broad decision, sure. Specifically, what would that look like when you wake up tomorrow? How would you know that Jesus is calling the shots? Well, I'd go and read my Bible and start listening to him calling the shots. Great first step. Awesome. Anything else? I don't know. Like, sure, that's okay. Let me let me teach it. Let me show you. Come with me, and I'll show you what it means to be a disciple. And you can start looking, and I'll show you the Bible where it says that, and I'll show you what I do, and be around Christians so that you can see what it looks like. Make sense? Cool. Uh, and then even helping them to say, like, maybe what are some things that you might have to stop doing, and what are some things that you might have to start doing? You might need to stop looking at pornography. You might need to stop gossiping like crazy. You might need to stop dressing like you're going to the club, but it's only Tuesday. You might need to stop. You might need to stop dropping F-bombs every other word. You might need to stop living with your boyfriend. You might need to stop filling the blank. But you might need to start reading your Bible. You might need to start hanging out with disciples. You might need to start sharing your faith. And helping them identify those things. And when it gets difficult, to help them to figure out how to do that. So. It is so important to make sure that you guys are an epic part of this process. You don't just get to teach them. you got to teach them to obey, which we'll get into. A couple common attitudes. We're going to talk about this. I go to church on Sunday. What do you do everything else for? Well, you know, Jesus definitely calls the shots. I did that mission trip in high school. <laughs> or did many mission trips. We always would go and build houses in Guatemala. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. Like, that's awesome. But if that's the only time you lived out discipleship, that does not make you a disciple. That is a great decision. But there are a lot of people that are atheists that do that. That doesn't mean you follow Jesus. And again, I follow Jesus in my own way. This attitude sets itself up opposing Jesus because he goes, no. You deny yourself. You don't have your own way. You have Jesus' way. There might be different things that you find that help bring you closer to him. But you don't get to disagree with Jesus. And this goes for both disciples and non-disciples here, by the way. We're preaching it, but maybe we need to preach to ourselves. You don't get to do your own thing. Just because you don't feel like doing something doesn't mean you don't have to do something. You said Jesus is Lord, not Jesus has some good ideas. Jesus is Lord and he's in charge. Make sense? Yeah. Uh, of course I follow Jesus, not perfectly, but I do my best. And this is where, like, you do need to make sure that, hey, it's not about perfectly following Jesus, but there is an overall attitude of who's in charge. And the way that I usually help somebody see their own heart 
is that when you do screw up, what's your reaction? What does that drive you to do differently? Because if you say, you know what, I screw up and nobody's perfect, that is true. But when you do mess up, what do you do instead? How do you respond to that? And they're like, well, I pray and I ask God to forgive me. Okay, does that change? How many times do you have to do that before something changes? Well, sometimes it doesn't change. Oh, well then who's really in control? Is Jesus really calling the shots? Is that how Jesus would have you respond to that? Probably not. Okay, so who's really in control? Big stuff. Any questions about this passage? Great. Okay, Matthew 28. Let's go. Point of this passage is... Disciples make disciples. Can anybody quote this one? Danielle, come for it. Yes, Daniel. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I am with you always. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> yeah, great, fantastic. And that's awesome. This passage, and you probably should be able to quote it like that. Well, hopefully a lot of us can. But this, if you can't, that's okay. But I would go after it like that so that this runs through your veins like blood. That this rushes to your head and rushes through your head because this is like our lives. This is the Great Commission. Unfortunately, it becomes the great omission a lot of times. And just for the sake of time, must ask questions. Here we go. What is the great mission slash last command for Jesus' disciples? Just remember this. This is the last time Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he probably knew it was the last time, which meant he chose his words carefully, probably. And this is definitely the last words that Matthew decides to include in Jesus' life. So what's the, what's the last great mission? It's to go and make disciples. Here's a big one, okay? What is the difference between teaching and teaching someone to obey? What do you guys think? Daniel? Um, well, I can, like, teach. Okay. Like, if I'm teaching, like, I can teach you one plus one, but, like, there's a difference between knowing, like, how to do it and mm -hmm. doing it. Sure, yeah, Dennis? Um, I think it's like, <clears throat> you can teach someone, like Daniel said, you can teach someone one plus one, or like, you teach someone what Jesus wants us to do. Or teaching someone to obey includes kind of uh, uh, sticking with them, seeing yeah. that they're actually obeying, and kind of reproving them. Sure, Dwight. I say um, teaching them, of course, is showing them, but um, teaching them to obey is displaying what it looks like to be obedient to yeah. the teaching. Definitely displaying, sure. Eric? Yeah, of course, that teaching is like showing, but like um, teaching to obey is like discipline. Yeah, so this is the difference here between a professor and a coach. A professor will give you information. A professor will present it to you, maybe in really entertaining ways. But a coach, they have a vested interest in your performance. A coach is going to get in there and say, okay, I gave you the info, but you're not doing this right. That's not a three-point stance. I don't know how you mess up a three-point stance in football, but you're messing it up. That's not how you run. 
Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you the proper form. That's not how you throw the ball. That's not uh, maybe a private teacher or something like that in music. Okay, let me show you how to do this and let me help you so that you can do it too. A professor will get up here in rooms like these and just give you info. A coach will get in there and say, watch me do, then you do it, and I'm gonna help you when you mess it up. Making sure that they obey. Now, here's the cool part. The chain of discipleship is beautifully included in this. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, including what brand spanking new commandment that Jesus just rolled off the factory floor. This one. This one, to go and make disciples. So that's how that works. You're going to go teach them to obey everything, including going and making disciples. And then they teach their disciples to go and make disciples and teach them to go make That's how it works. The, the, the great picture is the difference between a church that has disciples making disciples and just the pastor making disciples. Yeah. If just the pastor makes disciples, then you get, let's even say like the pastor makes, you know, by himself, he makes Let's say he's crazy. Let's say he makes 365 disciples a year by himself because he's, you know, crazy. <laughs> Versus the other church who starts with one disciple who makes one disciple. After that first year, that the pastor's going to have, with the pastor, he's going to have 366 disciples because him and the 365 he made. The other church might only have two. But year after year, there's a limit to how much the pastor can do. There's only one person doing it. Whereas when it's disciples who make disciples who make disciples, after a few years, they're making thousands and thousands and millions and billions of disciples. That's how you win the world. It's not one person doing their job. It's not one inspiring missionary or preacher. It's everybody, which let me preach to the disciples here for a second. It's all of your responsibilities to make disciples. It's not your Bible talk leader's job. It is their job, but it's not only their job. It's not the assistance to go and make a bunch of disciples. It's not my job only, although that is one of my jobs. It's not Phil's or Ed's or anybody's. It is your job. You have an incredibly important part in this discipleship chain. And if you don't do your job, then that's why the world doesn't get one which is why I'm really glad you guys are here learning how to do this kind of stuff because this shows that, hey, you're taking this seriously. It is part of your job to make disciples. But it's everybody's job. So that actually is just for you guys, not so much this study. So anyway, this big one, teaching and teaching to obey. So asking the question, hey, has anybody ever taught you or has anybody ever made you a disciple? Or have you ever made a disciple? A lot of times people go, uh, no, I don't think so. Or maybe I'd made one back in, in, in college or whatever. Sorry, college, high school. And back in high school. And then I follow up, okay, what did that look like? What did you do? Well, I brought my friend out to church. Uh, okay. Were they already going to church? Or were they already a Christian? In your mind? Well, yeah. Okay. So did you really make a disciple? I guess not. Uh-huh. Um, could this kind of be like dangerous questions to ask someone if they're at the very beginning of their spiritual journey? Like someone could come out of the study and be like, oh, okay, I got to start teaching people 
to make this thing like, you know. I'm glad you asked that. No, it's not. Because this is actually really important. You say maybe this passage might overwhelm somebody. Okay? So you don't want to put stuff like you gotta know every little theological thing. But we do have amazing examples of people. Like what I would do is if somebody's brand new to this stuff, like and they don't have any background and stuff and they're afraid of like, I don't know what I'm teaching. Okay, well, don't go and teach false stuff. And that's where we go over to John 4 and we take a look at the, the role of the Samaritan woman who literally had no idea what she was doing. She spent 15 minutes with Jesus, but she goes and evangelizes an entire town. But all she says is, come and see. And so, maybe people don't know how to do this. This right here, this line of questioning is probably for somebody who's a little bit more religious, who thinks they're making disciples. That's what we're trying to help that. But if somebody is never, if they're like, no, I've never made a disciple, I don't even know how to do that. Of course not. Okay, cool. Well, just to let you know, this is part of it. Are you willing to do this? And let me encourage you with, well, all you need to have is a faithful heart, a willingness to obey, and the words come and see. The disciples who had been with Jesus for at least a few months at that point didn't convert, didn't bring anybody. The woman, been with Jesus for 15 minutes, brings out a whole town. So this particular line of questioning, sure, depending on some of you definitely need to still teach this because it's still part of discipleship. But maybe maybe take a more of an approach of like, oh, okay, this is what it looks like, and let me encourage you. So that makes sense? Cool. So um, let's talk about a religious person who's saying, yeah, I, you know, I definitely make disciples, or 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 if they say, no, I, I haven't, I haven't really made disciples. Like, okay, well, has anybody ever taught you how to make a disciple? If you're wondering why is that an important question, well, if you've never been taught to obey, do you think anybody has ever made you into a disciple then? Because according to this passage, disciples are what? People who have been taught how to make disciples. Uh-oh. Maybe even asking the question, what would it take to make a disciple? And if they have no idea, then odds are that you probably didn't accidentally make one. And if somebody's like, okay, I definitely made a disciple, but their definition is I brought them out to church. Okay, well, let's even take the passage that we just looked at. Did you look at Luke 9? But if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself, pick up the cross, and follow me. Because if you didn't, what did you teach him? Did you teach him Jesus' standard, or do you even remember? Uh-oh. Is that making sense here? So bring these kind of things. So how do you feel about this being your mission for the rest of your life and to follow Jesus? That's a good one for anybody, by the way. Uh, yeah, this needs to be something that, and a lot of times people feel like, Scared. Who still feels scared and nervous when they share your faith? Yes, yeah, so do I, sometimes. I still can get the butterflies. Normally I'm not scared of what a person is going to do to me. Sometimes I'm more scared about what I'm going to say out of my mouth. I get the nerves like, gosh, now I've got to actually talk to this guy. What am I going to say? I'm tired. But, you know, it's okay. If you still get nervous, that's all. That means you're really faithful, really obedient, and you're living out discipleship but even helping them, like, hey, if you're afraid, come with me. And they just need to see that it's it's possible to be done. I don't know how many times I get people saying, well, you can't change people's minds. And I go, yeah, you can. You do it all the time. <laughs> Seriously. I'm afraid, come to church with me. Well, raise your hand up. How many people have studied the Bible with that have changed their minds because the Bible is awesome? And then people are like, well, how do you even do that? I'm, and this is one of my favorite things to do. You're in a Bible study, and they're like, well, how would you even do that? And I go... Like this. 
and I just go and I, I literally did this one time. I, I was in a chair at a table and I literally leaned back to the guy that was right behind me, just studying. And I'm like, hey man, it's going. Yo, what are you studying? Okay. You ever study the Bible? Oh, you can do that? I just did. Right before your eyes. It's real life. It's amazing. And you've got a taste the glory. You're doing a taste like. Sometimes people just need to see that it's possible and it's done. And then they go, oh, that's easy. I can do that. But until you show. Like, I can't do that. That makes sense? Yeah. And then even asking, how can you try and start making disciples now? Again, helping them identify a couple people. And all you need to do is give them come and see from John chapter 4. Who could you say come and see? You don't need to know all this stuff. Just come out and see. Come to Bible talk. Come to, I don't know what I'm talking about fully. I'm still trying to figure this out. But come with me and these people are helping me. But then what I usually do here is I say, Okay, do you think you could have two conversations with non-disciples about becoming disciples? I say, yeah, I think I can do that. And then I help them visualize, okay, who is it going to be? And they're like, uh, I, I don't know. My friend. What's your friend's name? Trayvon. Okay, when are you going to see Trayvon? He's actually a white girl. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we're getting them to think, my friend, you know, they, and then my friend Lisa, that was a black dude. <laughs> yeah, like, just help them, help them figure out who is it going to be and when are you going to talk to them? When are you going to see them next? Well, my roommate, I'm going to see tonight. Okay, great. What are you going to say? I don't know. Help them figure out a conversation start. And then, oh, it's my lab partner. I figure them very specific so that they can see themselves doing it. Yes, Morgan? Um, it's a comment about Dwight's racing. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Are you asking Anyway, okay. Any questions about this? A couple common attitudes you might have to deal with. My pastor does that. How does this how does this passage deal with that? This is not just like the pastor who's supposed to be uh, everyone has to hear. Exactly. If you're a disciple, you go and make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Awesome. Great. Actually, I have something to say. Oh, Morgan has something to say. Um, Katie will slip you. She's right here. Awesome. Thank you. I think I made one a long time ago. If you don't really remember the bloody struggle that goes into making a disciple, the odds of you making one are very slim. Because even if if I think you made one, then do you think you taught them to obey? Probably not. That's a hard process there. Whoops. What did I just do? Oh, no. There you go. I talk to my friends about God. Here's a big one. Yeah, I make disciples. I rep the big man. I rep Jesus whenever it comes up in conversation. That's not making disciples. That's letting people know where you stand. But were you actually trying to help somebody who didn't believe in God come to a belief in God and not just win an argument? Or if you're talking to Christian people 
quote-unquote, people that already believe in God, that's not making disciples. You're just kind of like talking about stuff. You're not actually trying to help people that are lost get saved. I help people get to the point where they understand, hey, I'm going to take somebody that is lost and help them get saved by God. I don't feel equipped. That's the come and see. Yes, Chance? Um, just curious, what would you say to someone that was maybe like Muslim? Yeah. Muslim. So this is a very different Bible study mm -hmm. than that. Do you mind if I finish this slide oh, and yeah, I get to that? Okay. Cool. Okay. I don't feel equipped. That's Samaritan woman. Chance brought that up before. I'd say, hey, it's not about how much you're equipped. It's about how much you trust God. And over time, he will turn you into a better and better fisher of men. And I can't do that until I figured it out. I'm like, that one, I, I understand that. How can I help somebody do something that I'm already, not already there? Well, number one, a big step in figuring it out is just doing what Jesus tells you to do. So this is part of that. Go and do that. And then even getting to the point where like, okay, you know what? But I, I feel you. I know this is difficult. Come with me. Let's go share our faith. I'll do it mostly. Because this right here, this is not a great heart to desire godliness. This is a heart, this is an excuse. You're like, well, I can't do that until I figure it out. So you're saying it would be more godly than to, to not do the godly thing than to do the godly thing? That doesn't make sense. But really what it is is they're afraid or they're nervous, or they don't want to, and they don't think they can. So, say, hey, come with me, I'll show you how to do this. Then they go, oh, I can do that. Easy. So. Uh, and then the final challenge of the call study, there's the reading plan, there's attend disciple functions. This is important because if people don't spend time with disciples, they're not going to actually learn how to live like a disciple. If they only come to Bible studies, then anybody can be spiritual in a Bible study. They're not even going to know our lives. But we want to share our lives with them. So come to disciple functions. That's not just church, but definitely church and Bible talk. Start living like a disciple. Share with two people. We talked about that. And, uh, dang it. Basically, spending time with disciples outside of church. And this actually, for us that we're studying the Bible with people, that means inviting people into our homes, having sleepovers, playing video games, playing basketball, showing people that being a disciple is awesome 24-7. It is not a matter of showing up to functions. It is a matter of a lifestyle. Showing them, hey, we do reach out to the cashier wherever we go. We do randomly reach out to the basketball, people play basketball in that pickup game. We do talk about God in our own sin and our own struggles. We pray for each other even while we're braiding each other's hair. That's the call. Any questions about this study? Danielle. I'm going to get there. So, like, at NHU, because it is predominantly black people, like, something that I hear all the time, um, I don't necessarily hear this too much, that's why I said that. Um, <laughs> it's like, I just love my pastor. And so, like, how do you, like, I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah, so I think going back to the Berean challenge of the Act 17, really I'm doing that like, okay, first off, have you ever gone back and checked out what they're saying? And I think even your pastor would say that you're not supposed to be like them. You're supposed to be like Jesus. And so you can love your pastor all you want. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but is your pastor Jesus? No? Okay. Well, then you still need to go out. You still need to share your faith. You know? A lot of times, like, people, maybe even ask the question, has your pastor taught you to do this? Has your pastor equipped you to do this? Has anybody in the time that you've been going to the church that you've gone to made sure that you're really living like this? Has anybody sat down and tried to teach you this? Because look, you've been coming out to us, you've been spending time with us for a week, and you didn't even make it a week without us trying to help you with this. How long have you been going to that church? Three, four, five, six, all your life years? Whoa. Say what? They get so offended. And you know what? That's okay. That's all I need. Yep. <laughs> Amen. Doesn't mean attack. Doesn't mean attack them. But even going like, yeah, okay, cool. Go always bringing it back to Jesus. Always bringing it back to Jesus. Always bring and, and hey, if 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 you're not living this out, it doesn't really matter. Your pastor's not gonna walk you into heaven. What would Jesus say? If Jesus says this, your pastor's gonna have more say than Jesus. Jacob? Uh, so after this study, how long should we kind of give someone to start coming around and stuff like that? Like spending time with disciples or, you know, going out and sharing with us? Because uh, I've, I've been in situations where it's like I've gone through discipleship and the person's like just not reading their Bible or they're not coming out and spending time with people and they're just kind of like being spiritual. Yeah, and that's, that, that's where this whole thing is like, this is the call. Are you in or are you out? Like, dude. You said you're in. Because, you know, if they don't want this, they don't want it. If they, and then you're like, okay, cool. Well, you can come out to whatever. I'm going to go find somebody that does want it. But if somebody said, yeah, I do want it, and they're not actually going with it, then you have a couple things. Number one, you offer to teach them. You say, hey, let's read our Bibles together. Let's go share our faith together. Let's hang out together. Let's do all that stuff. And if they're still not, then you can ask them, hey, you know, you said you were in on this. It doesn't really seem like it. Do you really think you're in on it? You know, you really want to follow Jesus? You really want him calling the shots? Because this is a big part of what it would look like. You know, you can't argue with those. Deny yourself, move the cross, follow him, make disciples. Come on, spend time with us. I want to teach you how to do this. And even getting down to the heart of like, ah, I don't really know, I'm nervous. And, but amen, do you want to follow Jesus or not? Okay, Jesus won't leave you out to dry. He will take care of you. Cool. Right. Um, I feel like this is a dumb question, but like no so, dumb questions. Yeah, I knew that was going to be said. But anyway, <laughs> um, so since like the beginning of the study, you talked about like that there's not a difference between a Christian and a disciple, and like a lot of people be like thinking they're a Christian, and then it's evident through the study that they're not. Like that is like a, is that an important question to ask? Like continuing through the study, like so, are you a disciple? Like. You know, because and here's here's my deal with that. That look, it's it's not bad to ask those questions, but the purpose of those questions, a lot of times, we try to get people to realize that there's they're lost right there and then. Which these passages, for the most part, don't necessarily talk about salvation. Yeah. Luke nine does very briefly, like in, in, like uh, what good is it to you know uh, 
gain the, gain the hold of it, lose or forfeit your very soul, all that kind of stuff. But again, we don't want to present the idea that, hey, uh, salvation is earned by sharing your faith or all that stuff. Yeah. It's not a work thing. So maybe the better question is, instead of, uh, are you a Christian according to what Jesus says? To always bring it back to, are you doing what yeah. Jesus says? And so is it important? Yeah, because if somebody gets to the end of it and, and you're asking, are you doing this? Like, and they go, yeah, well, then you're delusional. You know, like they're, they're doing their own stuff. They're living a life of sin. They haven't made a disciple ever. They don't even know how to do that. And then you got to go deeper with it, you know, because you don't want people thinking that they're right with God when they're not. Yeah. But this is more so to get people to go, okay, uh, I do want to live like this. I am in the call. I am going to follow. Because... People will go, hey, uh, after you studied this out, I did go share my faith. I did read my Bible. I did come to church. I'm a disciple now. Well, I mean, they did everything we asked them to do. They are doing stuff. Now, they are following. That does make somebody a disciple, but it doesn't make them right with God. You know? So are you really following Jesus the way that he says to? You're doing something, but are you really doing that now? Right. So, like, it's something maybe, like, they can start to realize, but it's difficult. Yeah, and if they come to that conclusion, they're like, wow, okay, well, what do you want to do about that? What do you think Jesus would have you do about that? But the problem is sin. It's always been sin. Sin, 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 sin. It's not a lack of um, church membership, church attendance, or how many people you're studying the Bible with. It's always been sin. If you're not attending church, and you're not sharing your faith, and you're not reading your Bible, there is sin going on. But it's the sin that's the issue. Not those things. Okay, yeah, that actually makes sense. Cool. What if they're sharing their faith and they're uh, reading the Bible and everything, and it seems like they're living out discipleship, but it's still like baptism and everything is the problem? Um, like, where would you go from there? Yeah, well, I don't like having baptism fights up front. Because okay. the issue is never baptism, the issue is repentance. Mm -hmm. um, so usually what I do is I'm like, okay, cool, great, you're living this out. Let's. Then next time we get, let's do this together. That's awesome that we're living out discipleship together. Let's study out the problem. The problem is sin. And so, again, baptism is not really the issue. Repentance is. Okay? So I would go back, and if somebody seems like that's their big issue, I'd make sure that their view of the Bible as absolute authority is already there. That Jesus is calling the shots is really there. Just to be like, hey, if he says it, I'm going to do it. And then they're like, okay, well, let's study sin. And probably there's a bunch of pride religious pride of like oh, I, I know this I do this but they're not taking the whole thing together but letting the spirit let the spirit actually soften their heart you don't jump into baptism right don't let don't let it be boiled down to what you're supposed to be baptism we just have time for like one more and then chance this question Web. Um, so we had a uh, we were saying this guy um, he was being JC and the guy was like super argumentative and like, I mean, basically, we ended it like two weeks ago with like, hey, this is the boss in your court. If you want to keep on doing this, we're, we can, we'll get up again, but it's, we're not going to initiate anything. Yeah. But like, every, like, at every point, like, he was playing the devil's advocate, like, arguing, like, every single possible. How many times did you study with him? The last one was the third study. So, third? Like, yeah. Yeah. For the most part, if people are argumentative, then I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, oh, yeah. you're not really seeking. You're sitting here to sit down and be just argumentative. And what the Bible literally says have nothing to do with foolish arguments. Because if that if somebody's just being contrarian, yeah, um, then I'm like, this is a waste of my time and a waste of your time. 
and that's okay. You can, we, all, we all need to learn how to do this. This is one of the most powerful and effective tools in your arsenal. You're sitting down, and somebody is like, the Bible's very clear about something, black and white, not, no area for, for argument or disagreement, and they're still fighting it, and they're fighting it often. You need to learn how to do this. Okay, seems like these Bible studies aren't really going to help you. And so frankly, it seems like a waste of your time and a waste of my time. So you know where we're going to be. You know where Bible talk is. We'd love to have you keep on coming out to Devo, but I don't think these are going to help you right now. Let's pray. And that's fine. Done. Because Jesus talks about you've got to go and find a worthy person. And that flies in the face of all of our 21st century sensibility. That there are such things as worthy and unworthy people. Everybody is worth the blood of Jesus, but not everybody at all times is open to the gospel. And if you spend all your time with somebody that doesn't want it, that isn't seeking at all, that isn't even close to being open, they are an unworthy person for your time right there. Doesn't mean they will always be. Just means right now there is somebody out there because the harvest is plentiful. So you got to go find somebody that wants it now. And that is okay. And learning how to go, shwank, we're done. Because most people will never have that done. Most people will be like, oh, religious people just want me there. I'm like, no. If you don't want this, if you aren't seeking, that's okay. I'm shaking the dust, as Jesus said to. I'm going to go find somebody that wants it. You know where we're going to be. You change your mind. And sometimes that jars people like, whoa, what happened? Cody Dowdy got baptized because somebody did that. He's like, he's like, well, you're not taking this seriously, so we're done. And they go, whoa, I do need to take this seriously. Boom. By the way, somebody that asked a lot of questions, Chance is a great example of somebody that was studying the Bible, had a bajillion questions, but when points were made from the Bible, he goes, oh, that makes sense. Now, it was kind of like a hydra that as you cut off the head of one, seven more sprouted. <laughs> but that's okay, because Chance was like, I want to learn. I'm not here to argue. I am here to learn. I bring up points that are contentious for me, but when the Bible answers it clearly, I'm like, okay, cool, great. And chance to answer your questions because we're running low on time. What do you do with a, if somebody is Muslim? It's a completely different Bible study. And really what it comes down to is you don't go onto this stuff. You camp at the first part of the call study, which is Jesus. you got to follow Jesus. And the, the fundamental difference about Islam and Christianity, and there's so many books written about it. Uh, Doug Jacoby's written a ton about that. You can go and learn that. But ultimately it comes down to what did Jesus say about himself? versus what you're saying about it. And the fundamental issue is that Islam believes Jesus was a great man, uh, one of the four great prophets. Uh, to be, he, and, and a lot of them will even say he was the Messiah. But he was not the Son of God. God is one. How could there be? And yeah, Eric, you were Muslim. Yeah, I was actually Muslim. Um, right. So like, I'll definitely say the view of Jesus and then and everything changes, right? Because yeah. there, there is something, and I can't speak for everybody not having been ever Muslim, but when you start to live out the amazing life of Jesus and see that it's grace and truth versus the what I've been told is that it's a lot of works in Islam rather than grace, even though Allah is called Allah the merciful and the gracious, 
That's not necessarily the case. In fact, it's a high shame culture, not one of grace, love, forgiveness. And there is nothing like the love of God. So, basically, you're camping on Jesus for a little bit. And getting people to do exactly what Eric just said, try to live out Jesus and see what's different. Cool. All right, let's pray real quick, and then we got Devo. So, cool. yeah. Dwight, why don't you go ahead and pray for